and welcome to the EPL Pitchside. This podcast is powered by City FM and City Sports. This is your go-to hub for English Premier League analysis, transfer stories, statistics, and everything in between. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. My name is Benjamin Inketia, and on today's episode of the EPL Pitch Side, controversial VAR error cost Liverpool massive three points against Tottenham Hotspur. Also, Chelsea gets shirt uh, sponsor. Uh, Infinite Athletes will be sponsoring Chelsea until the end of the 2023-2024 season. And guys, I need some confetti and some champagne. Finally, Mikhailo Mudrik has gotten his first goal for Chelsea Football Club. What a relief for everybody. In the camp of Manchester City, they have lost back-to-back games without Rodri and they face a trip to the Emirates to face Arsenal Football Club. When you talk about Manchester United, Lissandro Martinez is set to undergo surgery and he will be out for about three months or so. Wenger Anthony is back in England after dealing with allegations in Brazil. And then, of course, Brighton and Hove Albion were humbled by Aston Villa. So, a lot to chew on on this episode of the show. My good friends are here, Nathan Kwao and Edwin Kwakofi. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's been a really interesting it's time. Yeah, it's been a really interesting <laughs> weekend of Premier League football, and I'm always happy to get into things. Um, let's start off with that big game from last week. Um, it was Spurs hosting uh, Liverpool. Mm. Uh, Simon Hooper at the centre of all the controversy. <laughs> um, Dan Cook and Mr. England also in the VAR mix as well. Um, what happens basically is that Luis Diaz's goal was disallowed because mm-hmm. according to the VAR officials, they thought that the decision had already flagged the goal as onside and that everybody was moving on with their lives. Uh, apparently, that is not what happened. And so the sequence passed everybody by and then they realized that they had made a mistake. Well, in the fallout, Liverpool have demanded the audio of that VAR incident. And according to reports, it will be made public. Um, so very interesting <laughs> happenings there. Meanwhile, the officials behind the VAR machines um, were initially asked to step back for two games but have now been asked to step back indefinitely as the investigations continue. Nathan, let me start with you. A lot of questions have been raised about VR. Technology was supposed to make our lives and football better. Yeah. But this is where we are. Yeah, but I don't think it's down to the technology. I think it's down to the human beings who are supposed to manage and use that technology to aid them in their decisions. I was very disappointed and I didn't see the game live. I watched the rerun. So... Initially, when you know I saw the 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 main highlights and I saw the main points, or Luis Diaz go chalked offside, I said, okay, offsides do happen. Then I started to hear about the controversy, and then I watched the game. I was absolutely stunned by what I was watching because the player himself didn't even know he was. I mean, he scored once mm-hmm. he saw the flag. Okay, he moved on with his life because offsides do happen. Ange Postecoglou says he was shocked that the goal was chalked off. But to to see or to see that officials didn't have their eye on the situation and there was this miscommunication and assumption that somebody had given the goal and so I, I thought it was really poor performance from the VR officials. You are supposed to be looking on, you are supposed to be locked in, you are supposed to be focused and you are the person to point out what we call the clear and obvious error. So what the referee misses, you point out and then you can rectify that decision. It was really appalling and it's fascinating that 
for a game that was so high quality. The, the story is not about the football on the pitch, but it's about the fact that some officials took their eye off the ball, literally, literally, mm-hmm. really, and they've made a very, very poor decision. I really feel sad for, for Liverpool. You know, usually we say that decisions even themselves are, but not like this, not when somebody's not offside and, mm-hmm. and they are flag offside and then the officials actually don't understand what happened or they fail to keep tabs yeah. on the event. It was quite sad seeing that. But I think it's happened. I'm just happy that Liverpool have pushed to at least have these um, the audio conversation made public. I think that it will put VR officials on their toes. But I feel that the English FA and, and Pogmo... Like a nightmare if you're Yeah, official. and the, the Pogmo, the, the, the Premier League, you know, mm-hmm. match officials association body, and yeah. body. This season, they've really come under fire for some of the most horrible decisions the Man United versus Wolves one and a lot of the other ones they missed I think they need to really really up their game they really really need to up their game and it's very sad that a game that was so great Mm -hmm. has now really been reduced to a conversation around offside it wasn't VAR decisions I'm quite sad but I feel that they need to be punished well but I feel that Pogmol also needs to raise the standards and they need to do better in terms of how they handle the game Mm -hmm. so that they don't become the story the football is the story and it has to remain the story well i mean in the league with fine margins such as these especially when liverpool have lost out on the title by a point yeah, and two yeah. points against manchester city this is something that will definitely have ripple effects down the road edwin w- what's your stand on footballers saying that you know what vr actually ruins the game i've had christian pulisic talk about it Postecoglou <laughs> himself says that it takes away from the fun of the game and what football used to be. I'm not sure where you stand on all of this. Look, I'm I'm always an advocate for technology being in football because it's supposed to make decisions much easier. It's supposed to make decisions more correct. The way it's been handled in the Premier League, especially, it's it's not the best to see. We don't see a lot of these controversial things in other leagues, do we? Italian league fairly runs smoothly. Spanish league is fine. I don't think Bundesliga is okay. The, the Premier League invests so, uh, so many resources in making sure that it's the best league in yeah. the world. That includes uh, beefing up the quality of the referees as well. And mm-hmm. I think the decisions we saw in the Spurs-Liverpool game were atrocious, some of them at least. <laughs> there were a few that uh, people say are controversial. I completely agree with, like the Curtis Jones. And, and Liverpool are appealing that red card. They are appealing. I don't think it's going to be successful. Yeah, I, I, I thought that, that was, was a red card. It was a very yeah, dangerous tackle anyway. Mm-hmm. But when I saw the game, I saw the decision against Luis Diaz on the face of it without any lines. I said, this is onside. There's no way that is offside. Yeah. And for uh, officials who have the... Uh, benefits of replays, who have the benefits of pausing it, looking at the uh, footage uh, multiple times, mm-hmm. drawing the lines. It's unacceptable that they missed it. And we've seen these apologies from Pogmo, as Nathan said, so many times for so many uh, incidents. But it takes away Luis Diaz's goal. He doesn't get his goal back. Yeah, Liverpool don't get their three points. Salah doesn't get his assist. And that goal changes... It changes everything. Yep. Imagine if Liverpool loses the league and you calculate and say those three points could have made it. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. And we heard them say the officials had been asked to step aside. Mm-hmm. But we saw Simon Hooper. Uh, Simon Hooper fourth, is getting... On fourth official yep. duty in the Chelsea game. Yeah. Nothing is going to in change. In fact, he will be in charge of the everton Bournemouth game coming up. He will be on <laughs> VAR duty, actually. Imagine the irony. Yeah. That's, that's I heard stories that he was... Uh, 
officiating a game somewhere in the Gulf mm-hmm. two, three days before this. I, I don't know how yeah, to uh, uh, The VAR, the two VAR, the two VAR officials, officials, the fourth yeah, official, yeah. were all officiating game, a game in the UAE on Thursday. <laughs> and then he returned to England on Friday before the match on Saturday. That was a six-hour flight, I believe. And you know, yeah. they said what? Well, they lost focus during the game. They did not uh, uh, spot the uh, error early enough. Come on, man. That's, come on. That's, that's a bogus for, excuse. Uh, for the Premier League, that yeah. audio will be very interesting to yeah. listen to. I can't wait to listen <laughs> to it because yeah. it's going to tell us a lot about where the refereeing is in the Premier League, where mm-hmm. the use of VAR. Yeah. Nathan mentioned that the human error is the major thing. I feel that mm-hmm. the whole VAR system is deficient. And mm. I want to go back to that red card for Diogo Jota. The first yellow card he got there, that was not a foul. Mm-hmm. Udogi tripped over himself and then fell down. Jota was behind him and because of that, he got the yellow yeah. card. The second yellow, I believe, that was a silly tackle yeah, from that, Jota. That was mm-hmm. a yellow card. In such a case, when you have to give two yellow cards for a red card, I, I think the referee should be allowed to go back and assess the first yellow card as well. Make sure that was actually a yellow yeah. card because it's just taking away one player from the game mm-hmm. who shouldn't have been sent yeah. off in the first place. Just, and, just, you know, yeah. just a quick one, Edwin. I've, I've heard former players, Andy mm-hmm. Townsend and co, and several other players say that maybe there needs to be a former player in the VR room with the, or the mm. officials mm. to guide them through some of these things and say, look, Look at that far. For example, the Udogi yeah. Jota incident. Yeah. Maybe if you had a, somebody to tell them that, look at that. There's, Jota yeah. is not fouling this guy. Yeah. He trips over his leg. Maybe there's slight contact, but the contact is never deliberate. Yep. You know, I, so. I, I just also think that, you know what? Slow motions and slowing down real life incidents takes away the context of the incident. Sometimes if you look at something in slower motion, the intent looks different from when it is happening. Look, I think I think it goes both ways. For example, for example, with the Jota incident, when you look at it in real time, mm. you can you can tell, mm. and then when you slow it down, mm-hmm. you get a clear. But, but I do agree. I feel that I think depending on the situation, yeah, there's no hard and fast rule about whether to watch it in slow motion or real mm-hmm. time. I feel that depending on the circumstance, either image or either video gives you a different feel, feel to it and it, then yeah. that kind of influences their well, decision. We just hope that VR will stay more consistent. Yeah, Let's yeah. move on to a team where happy times are beginning to emerge. Chelsea Football Club. <laughs> First, it was the arrival of the front of shirt sponsor, Infinite Athlete. Um, I was getting sick of seeing a Chelsea shirt plain, <laughs> looking like a training ground outfit. So now they have Infinite Athlete there at 40 million pounds till the end of the 2023-2024 season. Um, looks like pretty good um, cash. Let me just stay with you on that tangent, Nathan. Um, Todd Bowley was making sure that he was going to bring in is shirt sponsor. Yeah. People said that he wanted to bring in an affiliate or some pe- companies who were <laughs> friendly to him. In the end, uh, it's tech-based, uh, tech, uh, infinite athletes who have come through. It's good money too. It is. Um, I was reading a news report earlier about, you know, Chelsea, I was visited Bully trying to seek some external funding or something of that. So the point is Chelsea have laid out a lot of money in terms of buying players and all. So there is the need to balance the books and everything. Not having a shared sponsor is 
closing the door to another income line. And Premier League clubs, no matter how big or small or mid-sized they are, will take every single pound that comes in. It helps plug a hole here or there. So I'm happy that finally they have a shared sponsor. A team of Chelsea stature cannot operate unless, of course, it's on lines of principle. I know some companies say we don't want a particular type of shared sponsor and then they go like that. But I'm happy that they do have... They do have that. On the money side of things, it helps. It's great. It gives the jersey a bit of life. You give brand visibility to the company. Mm -hmm. I mean, on the business side, it's always a wise move to make. And I'm happy yeah. they've made that move in terms of just securing that kind yeah. of money so that they can focus on other things. I feel that for us, Chelsea in, in our space, in the media space, mm -hmm. is about Chelsea that plays the football. Yeah. So if they've secured a, a, a shared sponsor, that's wonderful. It's good money for them. You know what's crazy? For, for the entrepreneurs and the higher ups in the boardroom, they care about the money that comes in yeah, the, for the, the casual football fan down home. They care about how it spices up their jersey, <laughs> how the jersey looks when they put it on. So very, two very different um, motivations for getting a shirt sponsor, but Infinite Athlete uh, is here to stay at least for this particular campaign. Let's get to on the pitch issues and Mudrik uh, is up yeah. and running. Um, Pochettino says that that goal will do wonders for the young man's confidence. What's a good goal, though? Yeah. I also I feel, feel that. I mean, I, I feel I feel like the Premier League is unfair. Um, they've been dishing out um, the hairdryer for players uh, from other clubs who have come in for big money. <laughs> Mujic has been coasting under the radar. He came for 90 million pounds, and he's um, gone without a goal or assist till now. Edwin, are the floodgates about to open? And what did you like about Mujic's goal and his contribution overall against Fulham? Look, I, I think it's not an understatement to say that his career at Chelsea hasn't gone the way everyone thought it would. He came in with a huge reputation after a very good uh, couple of seasons at Shakhtar. Uh, a lot of big clubs wanted him. Mm -hmm. Coming to Chelsea, I think the pressure got to him a bit. The price tag, as you said, huge amount of money. And he didn't hit the ground running. You could see that he, he's been eager to get in in on the action, get in amongst the goals. He's been uh, a little over eager in his actions on the pitch, taking shots when he's not supposed to, <laughs> making the wrong decisions all over the pitch. But once he got that goal, mm -hmm. you could see the confidence best out of him. He was yeah. running for every single ball. There, were, there was a smile on his face constantly throughout <laughs> the game. I think that's important. <laughs> Pochettino has been talking about how he's been trying to motivate him into uh, with the woodwork challenge. because It was very funny how he didn't want to take on Pochettino because he always lost to him. But it, it, it's, it's, it's good to... Yeah, gets a young player like this, mm -hmm. an exciting young player like this, uh, back in his best form. Uh, as you said, it might open the floodgates for him if he's able to make the right decisions. And I think that's all that's missing from his game. Sometimes you feel like his legs move quicker than his brain and he <laughs> make decisions <laughs> they, before they really he do. actually you, you thinks can, about that's, it. That's the sign of, a, of an eager player. A very eager player. Uh, but uh, I think overall he was, he was very good in the first half for Chelsea. He had to go off uh, in the second half. But I think 
Chelsea needed that. They needed mm. their players to step up. Yeah. Uh, apart yeah. from Modric, we saw Armando Broya also gets his goal. We saw a huge performance from Cole Palmer. Yeah. We saw the partnership yeah. from between uh, Enzo Fernandez and Caicedo uh, really blossom yeah. in this game. And I thought Con- Conor Gallagher put, putting a, a good and shift Conor as Gallagher well. was fantastic. Conor Gallagher barely plays a bad game. I don't know what exactly. people have been watching every time they <laughs> watch it. I, I, I feel like football fans are stuck on um, certain check boxes that every footballer must check for them. So you must have a feathery first touch. You must, have, <laughs> you, must, you must be able to hold on to the ball and pass your way out of tight spaces. Every footballer cannot be like that. Footballers have designated, you know, skill sets. And I think that Kologal, his skill set, I mean, it, it balances out his game very well yeah, for yeah. me. Highly energetic. He can take a shot from distance. There are things he can do well, things he's average at, mm-hmm. and things he just... And that's why there are other players. I, I, I think football, people players just should appreciate players for, for what they bring to the table. I completely agree. And I think that at the end of last season where players were walking about the pitch, he was yeah, the he only was. one who was showing mm-hmm. passion and drive, eager to run around for the club. Of course, there were t- uh, times where he overdid it, got yellow cards, and he seems to keep doing that. But it's nice to see a player who is yeah. willing to run for the yeah. club. I think the captain Zamban has given him an extra level of responsibility mm-hmm. and it's, he's raised his performance levels. I think yeah. there were performances... Uh, 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10 performances all over the pitch for uh, for Chelsea. I can't mention all of them. Sanchez, Thiago Silva, Di Sassi, Kukurea. Literally Chelsea's best. Yeah, it was. It was a very good And I think this is one of the few times that we've seen all the players from Chelsea give a very good account of themselves. All they need to do is keep this up, try and get a few more goals, and then keep their confidence levels up. I know Jackson is coming back in the next game. Uh, Pochettino has a decision to make keep him on the pitch or go with Amanda Broya both are coming off goals from their previous game so Uh it's good feelings positive headaches positive headaches all around the club and things are looking good for Chelsea things looking good for Chelsea hopefully they can kick on uh, from there let's get to um, the Etihad and talk about Manchester City Uh, they have wobbled a little in the past couple of games so first they lost to um, Newcastle in the Carabao Cup and then they followed that up with another defeat uh, against Wolverhampton Wanderers at the Molyneux now the denominator for these two performances is that they were missing out on their midfield anchor in Rodri. And now they have the biggest of the three games he's expected to miss coming up on Sunday against Arsenal. Um, that should be a pretty complicated tie because it looks like Thomas Partey will be available for Arsenal as well. So <laughs> while Arsenal are getting all their injured players back in the fold, Manchester City are still missing uh, Rodri and they might probably even miss out on Bernardo Silva. So huge misses. But Nathan, yep. just highlight the importance of Rodri and if we are blowing it out of proportion that they've lost these two games because of him or he really <laughs> is that important. No, it's... Okay, so first of all, it's, it's not as though they they were dominated in midfield or they, the teams exploited the, the gap left by um, Rodri. No, I just think that they were outworked by... The two in the two games, if you look at Newcastle, for example, and in that first half against Newcastle, City did possess the ball, but they weren't threatening. It was in that second half that Newcastle woke up and realized that you know what, we could go at Man City and get something, and they did. In the game against Wolves, Wolves played the way I expected them to play sit back, 
try and match them, be solid, play on the break. And that really, that's what they did. Really, really, that's what they did. And I thought it was a very great performance from Gary O'Neill. We, we always say that the best way to beat Man City, and there are two ways. Either you do what Liverpool do, press them high and all of that, or sit deep and play on the break. I did not think Wolves had it in them to play that way, but I was very surprised at what I, what I watched from Gary O'Neill. Now, in terms of what Man City missed, of course, they had um, Kovacic mm-hmm. in there, and Mateus Nunes as well. Mateus Nunes. These two players are quality players. But the point is, when you go to a... I think it's the, it's the Arsenal test that we will see Rodri's importance because yeah. now City would want to hold on to the ball. They want to beat the press. They want to keep the tempo down. And they want to make sure that there's somebody who can always jump in and make a tackle always foul and, and not get carded, always ensure that there's a way of getting the ball back. And Arsenal would want to dominate because you've got Declan Rice, mm-hmm. you've got Odegaard, and then these two guys can cause problems. If they start party, wonderful. If not, party can come off the bench and still cause headaches. Yeah. And Man City will need Rodri's, his sly nature, his style, his composure, the mm-hmm. ability to pass, break their press, still give them rhythm and tempo. Because for City to stay alive in that game against Arsenal, they need to have tempo all the time. They mm-hmm. need to ensure that they are not outworked, outmuscled, and outfought. And I think that's what they will miss when they take on Arsenal. So you've seen Arsenal have this edge about them at home. And I think they'll be 10 times motivated because it is Manchester City mm-hmm. and they are a little wounded. Why not land the body blow now? That could prove very key later on in the season. I'll tell you this. If Arsenal cannot manage a win against Manchester City without De Bruyne and without Rodri, <laughs> I will seriously doubt their championship acumen <laughs> as a team. But Edwin, just snap thoughts on that big game. Arsenal gets on Thomas Partey back. Um, Declan Rice is already in the mix there. Uh, they clearly must have revenge I mean, on their minds because Manchester not only beat them last season, they beat them convincingly last season en route to the title. Look, I think, yeah, revenge might be on the players' minds, but if they focus on it, that will be their downfall. <laughs> mm. They didn't just lose last season. Ateta has failed to beat Pep in 90 minutes in any game uh, as Arsenal manager. Wow. And yeah, if, if you... <laughs> that is not yeah, good. If you go into the game with a mindset that I want to avenge uh, one single loss or a couple mm-hmm. of losses, that is where Man City gets at you. You lose focus on the things that matter. And I think the things that matter is they need to dominate Man City in the midfield areas. Mm-hmm. And this is their best opportunity to do so. Uh, with the return of Partey, if he does that, they have Declan Rice in there already. Odegaard is a very good controller of the midfield. And this is the game in which they need a huge performance from Kai Havertz. He can't hide <laughs> from this game. If he does that, he needs to be on top of his game. He needs to be involved. We can't have this language style of play that he's been known for, used to playing at Chelsea and at Arsenal. Arsenal need as much <laughs> midfield control as possible, and that means all hands on deck. Mm. City might not have reinforcements in that midfield, but these are still quality players in Kovacic and Matthias Nunes and Calvin Phillips if he does play and he's on top of his form. And I feel that with the structure that Pep has, any player could fit into that midfield, but it's not going to be as strong as if Rodri were in there and mm-hmm. Arsenal need to take advantage. That means taking advantage of the chances that you get as well. Mm-hmm. You can't have uh, players be missing easy chances as we've seen in recent yep. games. You can't yep. have players lose concentration as we saw with Jorginho in the game against Spurs. 
they need to be focused 100%. I still maintain that if you are to beat any Man City team, mm -hmm. you have to be perfect. Wolves did their job perfectly yeah. and they got the win. Newcastle did their job perfectly. They got the win. Arsenal need to be perfect when they face City. Well, I think I was going to ask for predictions for that big game, but I think Edwin has more or less given me a prediction. They need to be perfect to get a win. Nathan, who do you think walks away with three points in that one? It's at the Emirates, though. That, that, that's a tough one. I'm... Arsenal have won only one of their big games at the Emirates. They, yeah. they beat Man United. And Ateta hasn't beaten Pep yet. Yeah, that's that's a boss. tough one. Um, they won't have to be. It's difficult. Look, I I will go for a draw. Mm. A draw because one, I think that if I go back to the Spurs game, Arsenal's frailties in not being locked in completely. Man City can exploit that. Man City can get goals. They do have the quality to get goals. I don't think they have the quality to stop Arsenal from scoring. It's a matter of whether Arsenal can outscore Manchester City. So I'd, I'd go for a score draw. Okay, that's very interesting. Let's take a quick break here on the EPL pit side. When we come back, we'll be discussing Manchester United. Lisandro Martinez is set to go under the knife. And welcome back, Brazilian star boy, Anthony. We'll also talk about Brighton and Hove Albion. They were completely humbled by Aston Villa. Is it just a flash in the pan type of result? Or are Brighton really that vulnerable? A lot to talk about on the Pit Side Show. Stay with us. Welcome to the EPL Pit Side Show. My name is Benjamin Inketia and I've been talking to Nathan Kwao and Edwin Kwakofi. Let's get now to the camp of Manchester United because Lisandro Martinez is set to be out for at least three months uh, because he's set to have a surgery. Um, Edwin, let's let's get into the United uh, talk. It's four defeats in seven matches. Um, the team's support base seems split on support for Ten Hag. There are those who say that we cannot continue to chop man managers whenever they hit a snag. Some say that, well, Ten Hag has <coughs> clearly shown that he is not capable of beating the big guns and taking us to the next level. Now he has a defensive crisis on his hands. I say Lisandro has been one of the best defenders, not just for United, but since he stepped into the league. How big a miss would this be for them going forward? Well, it's going to be a massive uh, miss because, as you said, they have a defensive crisis on their hands now. Left-back was the crisis initially. Now it's moved to the centre-back position as well. We all know that Lindelof is not the most reliable for United. Maguire, he's had his issues with United as well. Varane is very injury-prone. There's no, knowing, uh, no way of knowing how long he's going to be on the pitch for. So losing Lissandro Martinez, who used to be the most consistent of the United defenders is going to be huge for Ten Hag. And it's just mounting problems for Ten Hag. Uh, he share, he definitely shares some of the blame for what how United have been playing this season. Mm -hmm. Not making the right decisions from the off. Not making the right decisions uh, in-game. Not making the right switches. And I, I think that the midweek win over Palace gave him a false sense of security about how good Amrabat was going to be at left back. I think facing a stronger Palace side with better players would have been a wake-up call that, mm -hmm. okay, maybe this is not the best decision to make when facing some of the better sides in the Premier League. But I feel that he needs to be cut some slack too. United have had a very unstable squad from the front line to the back line. We've mm -hmm. mentioned how uh, uh, inconsistently the back line has been for 
United up front too. There have been issues with goal scoring. They've not been taking their chances, not been making the right decisions, uh, been limited to low percentage shots, which has resulted in them having uh, some of the lowest shot on target uh, percentages in the league. Um, uh, Rashford has not had his best season mm -hmm. so far. Uh, Garnacho and Pelestri are young, being blooded uh, gradually, but you can't rely on them for goals. Mason Mount has been out for a couple of weeks. Hoyland is now uh, gaining chemistry with his teammates. Marshall has his injury issues. Bruno, who has been very consistent, also has his uh, moments of uh, poor decision-making as well. So it's been a whole cavalcade of issues hmm. for United this season. I think that the blame needs to be spread around. And it's unfortunate that they are in this situation. But as a manager, you deal with what's in front of you. Yeah. You need to find the right solution for that centre-back problem. That means that uh, going back to Harry Maguire and telling him that we might have had our differences, <laughs> oh, we might have had our goodness. issues. But right now, the club needs you. I need you. And I believe that you are the mm. man to slot into that position. So uh, United, yeah, United mm. need to deal with those issues. Sounds like poetic justice to me. Let's talk about Anthony returning. Nathan, just snap thoughts on the young man. Uh, he's done his uh, police rounds. He looks set to return to the lineup. What does he bring real quick? Well, I mean, for, for Anthony, anybody who knows the, the workings of Man United and the insides, you know, Man United will, will tell you that the manager likes him a lot because he listens to the instructions. He listens a lot. He does exactly what the manager does. You know, he tracks back. He does help on this, on the offensive that Anthony has to give a lot more. Mm. I hope that now that he's had time away, he's been able to um, think about what it is he can offer this team because this team will need all the help they can get, especially in an offensive sense. So I'm sure the manager would be happy to have him back. Let's see what he can give to the team now that he's he's come back. Mm. Let's finish off the conversation and talk about Brighton and Hove Albion. They've been everybody's favorite team aside your regular favorite team. They went <laughs> um, to Villa Park and Aston Villa completely took them apart. I have not seen a performance like that in a long while. They looked like they would concede every single time. Um, Edwin, I'll give you 30 seconds on this. Nathan can have another 30 seconds on this. Is that a performance deserving needed to be worried about? Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's because of his own mistakes. I felt that he made changes which were very unnecessary in that game. His midfield was very weak. When he had a chance to solve it in the second half, he decided not to. And Aston Villa took full advantage. He mentioned how uh, missing he was missing a player like uh, Mo Moises Caicedo. But mm -hmm. it was it was his own fault that he decided not to go with either Dahoud or Baleba, only bringing them on. He's insisting that Baleba is not ready. But you put him in the game regardless of whether he's ready or not mm -hmm. because he's the best or the closest to a Moise Caicedo you are going to have. And he needs to sort out this, this, uh, his decision-making, stop making too many changes to his team because I feel it's affecting the chemistry of his team. They can't get a good run uh, going. And if he wants to break into the top four, wants to make an impact in Europe, these are the sort of decisions that he needs to perfect. Mm. Nathan, you get the final word on Brighton's 6-1 well, hammering. It was... A very interesting performance. And I think Aston Villa has shown the template. If you want to beat Brighton and, and Newcastle or West Ham rather did say two ways, either 
play the low block and catch them on the break. Or if you want to match them in the midfield, know when to press. And I thought Villa did that very well. They knew when to press, when exactly to go after players, mm-hmm. when to get them when they were out of shape. And then you have the, the speed that they have to counter. So that's something... Um, Roberto Di Zerbi needs to think about what does he do when teams figure him out does he have a plan B does he have an alternative but I thought it was a great performance from Aston Villa great 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 performance tactically they were spot on once everybody got it right mm. you knew that Brighton were going to suffer and I think a lot of teams will learn from that especially the trick of knowing when to press when to spring the trap yeah. when to go after the ball and then you can get them destabilized and then you do your transition and get the goal well the upcoming game week should be very exciting and for us here at City, we have a road show at the Plus 233 Jazz Bar and Grill. That should be great. On Sunday, especially, there's Brighton versus Liverpool. And then there's a big one between Arsenal and Manchester City. So a lot of good football and good fun to look forward to. Thank you very much, Nathan Kwa. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Edwin Kwa Kofi. And that's all for this episode of the EPL Pitch Side. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. My name is Benjamin Inkitia, and many thanks for doing the listening.